Well, thank you, Brad and Ryan. Would you give them just one more hand for being here with us today? We appreciate you guys very much. If you have your Bibles, would you please open to Galatians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. And this is our last sermon in Galatians, so feel free to shed a tear of sadness or joy, whichever way you are feeling about that. Uh, next week, we're going to go into the Old Testament. We're going to be starting with the book of Judges, working our way through Judges, doing a fall kind of semester in Judges and a spring semester in Judges, so it should get pretty interesting next week and beyond. Uh, if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read part of the text now, and then I'll read part of it later. And why don't you go ahead and just greet someone around you real quick. Say hello to someone. So, just by way of reminder, this book is all about the gospel. Paul makes it very clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing else, no other works can add to that. Jesus' work was sufficient. And he's made it very clear because in the first two chapters, he argued about his testimony and his authority as an apostle that he is not making this up. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he argued from the Old Testament time and time again that we are saved by grace and not by works. And now in chapters 5 and 6, which we've been in, he is reminding us that if we are truly saved by the gospel, then it's going to produce fruit in our lives, that it's going to produce a change in our lives, that we don't just sit back, but it compels us forward by the Spirit to live differently. So let me start reading at verse 7. Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And we'll stop right there for now. You may be seated. Today I'm talking about sowing and reaping here first. And so I brought this nice little plant up with me. Aren't you impressed with my growing talent? Anyone know what kind of plant this is? Spider plant. It's not really the perfect plant for sowing and reaping because it's not like you sow this and then reap spiders, I guess. But thankfully, hopefully not. But it's just a reminder that what Paul is talking about here in this first section is sowing and reaping. And it's an incredible principle, if you think about it, because look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You hear what he's saying there? What you do, what you think about, it's going to produce a harvest someday. This is true in terms of agriculture and farming, but it's also true spiritually. 
We cannot get beyond this principle. Paul says, we reap what we sow. You reap what you sow. I was thinking about this image some more. And by the way, how many of you are gardeners or farmers or have a green thumb, so to speak, or like to at least? I, I would like to be like you, you know, because I, we had a small garden at, the, at our last house in Lima before I moved here. And then when we moved here and bought my parents' house, my mom, she was a farmer's girl. And so she, just, she doesn't have just a garden. She has a garden, <laughs> this massive thing that we've inherited that we are trying to wrap our minds around still on how to take care of it. <laughs> But I am learning this more and more that we reap what we sow. We planted some tomatoes this year, some cucumbers, some onions. We inherited a wonderful strawberry patch, and I'm just getting hungrier thinking about that. I mean, I've been learning this lesson in terms of gardening, that we reap what we sow. But how, how true is that not only physically, but also spiritually? So let's unpack this image a little bit more. I thought of at least four lessons that we can get from this reaping and sowing. Here's the lesson number one. And by the way, this isn't going to be on screen. I mean, is it possible to have a sermon without a lot of PowerPoint? We're going to find out today if that's possible. Here's lesson number one. God calls us to sow intentionally. Say that with me. We are called to sow intentionally. Think about that. That's true physically. If you're going to sow, if you're going to reap corn, what do you have to sow? Corn. Farmers know that if you're going to reap a crop sometime this fall, you got to put in the hard work of planting, preparing, and prepping the soil, even though it rained a lot this spring. (laughs) It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work in gardening. It's a lot of work in farming. It takes intentionality if you're going to reap a crop. But the same is true spiritually, too. If we're going to grow spiritually in our relationship with Christ, it takes intentionality. And I want to bring this point up because... Whenever you think about the gospel, what God has done for us through Christ to save us in his life and death on the cross and resurrection, sometimes it's easy to think, well, God did it all. Now I can just sit back and do whatever I want. I'm saved by faith, not by works. Now I can do anything I want. But Paul says, hold on, that's not true. In response, you are called to live this kind of life out of joy. You reap what you sow. And just as you are called to sow intentionally in gardening and farming, so you are called to sow intentionally in your spiritual life. How many of you know what starts today, for the most part, what starts today? We have the kickoff of the what? The NFL season. I guess it started Thursday night, but the Packers don't count, right, Ben? (laughs) Ben is our church chairman. I got to give him a hard time for that, being a Packers fan. Most of you probably are planning today, if you have a favorite team, you know what time they play, you know what channel they're on, you probably know what snack you're going to have while you watch the game. (laughs) In all seriousness, seriousness, though, I am sad to say that I think some of us are more intentional about how we're going to watch the game than we are about our own spiritual life and growing in Christ. Some of us give more thought and preparation to that than we do actually sowing and growing and putting roots down deep in Christ. We are called to sow intentionally. The second lesson that God calls us to do from this image, I believe, is we are called to sow specifically. Say that with me, sow specifically. Meaning that in the farming world, if you wanna get corn, you gotta plant corn. If you wanna get cucumbers, you gotta plant cucumbers. If I want to get a spider plant, not a great plant, but if you want to get a spider plant, I got to plant a spider plant. (laughs) 
Paul brings this up in verse 8. He applies this spiritually. He says this in verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh, that's your sinful nature, that's, that's our sinful desires deep in our heart, from the flesh we will reap what? Destruction. Really, the word is chaos and division. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Not that you earn your salvation, because that goes against the entire message of Galatians, but in response, a life that has truly been saved by the grace of God is going to sow to please the Spirit, because the Spirit of God has so come into your life and transformed your heart and made you a new creation in Christ that you want to please the Spirit. Amen? There's really two ways to sow, Paul says. We sow to our flesh, or we sow to the Spirit. So in some ways, this is kind of a warning that if we are not sowing to the Spirit, it should make us wonder, have we really trusted in Christ in the first place? Not that we won't ever mess up or sin because we need God's grace daily, but if our life is characterized by sowing to the flesh, it is a warning that maybe we haven't truly trusted in Christ in the first place. But on the other hand, it gives us a very clear path. There's two ways, to the flesh or to the spirit. By the way, as you think about this past week, which way were you sowing this past week? If somebody watched you, if I watched you the entire week on video this last week, which would be awkward, I would never do that, but if that happened, would I know that you are sowing to the flesh or to the spirit? You know, some of you are here maybe wondering if your life is full of destruction and chaos could it be that you are sowing to the flesh? Could it be that your life is so out of control and it could be because of other people in your life? I get that in circumstances, I get that. But could it be that you are sowing to please yourself and your sinful nature and your flesh deep in your heart? Could it be that that is causing so much chaos in your life this morning? And could it be that God has you here for this very specific purpose that he wants to bring it to your attention and then confess it and receive his mercy and grace anew? Let me give you some examples of sowing to the flesh. One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, says it like this. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, we sow to the flesh or nurse a grievance or entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose um, influence we cannot resist, or every time we are lazy when we know God has called us to take a step of faith and action, every time we view pornography, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing and sowing to the flesh. Sometimes we sow to the flesh so much every day, and we wonder why we do not reap a harvest of holiness. It's because we're following our sinful fleshly desires. Or even think about this relationally. Some of us this week probably sowed some relational bitterness and envy towards others. Is it no wonder that we are thus reaping a horrible relationship with that person? Some of us are wondering why we are reaping destruction and chaos. It is because we are sowing to the sinful nature, trying to please our flesh. But then there's the other way, sowing to the spirit. What does it look like to sow to the Spirit? I wish we had time to discuss this. This would be a good Sunday school question or small group question or around the lunch table today. We sow to the Spirit every time we say we're not going to nurse that bitterness. We're going to forgive them in our hearts. We're going to overlook an offense. Or we sow to the Spirit every time we invest in God's Word. Every time we soak in God's Word and His words, 
Maybe we listen to a sermon online. That's very common today too, which is great. We have so much access to all of these tools. Every time we wait on the Lord in prayer, every time we surrender to the Spirit, we sow to please the Spirit. And each way reaps very different crops, one destruction and one ultimately eternal life. So the question for you this morning is this, what is your life characterized by? Are you sowing to please the flesh or are you sowing to please the spirit? And probably if you're honest, you're probably like, well, it gets complicated some days. <laughs> Thankfully, if you follow the spirit, the great thing is that from the spirit, it says there at the end, you will reap eternal life. He's not gonna leave you alone. He's gonna help you sow to the spirit. You have the very presence and power of God inside of you to help you, amen? We have two paths, sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. I think of that famous oldie but goodie kid song. Have you heard the song before? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see for the father up above is looking down on love. And then it goes on to say, be careful little ears what you hear and tongue what you say and hands what you do and feet where you go and mind what you think and heart whom you trust. Let's go on to lesson number three. So we talked about sowing intentionally, sowing specifically. And by the way, I just thought of this. When it comes to sowing intentionally and specifically, if you do nothing in your garden or your field, what is going to be? What kind of harvest are you going to produce? Weeds. Weeds, yeah. I am a great grower of weeds. Very talented. <laughs> By the way, at first I had in my notes, I'm a great grower of weed, which is very different. <laughs> but it's weeds, plural. <laughs> very different. <laughs> if you do nothing in your garden or your field, they're going to crop up. That's the way the Christian life is, I think. Even though we receive this gift by faith, if we just sit back and do nothing in response, we're going to have weeds crop up in our life. <laughs> Let's go on to the third lesson. So sow intentionally, sow specifically. We are also called to sow abundantly or plentifully. And this is getting into verses 9 and 10 now, where the first two verses were more personal righteousness this is getting at our relationships and communal righteousness. So here's what verses 9 and 10 say. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So verse 10 is a really challenging verse. As we have opportunity, we are to do good. To how many people? Oh, I mean, this really sums up what our Christian life is about in some ways. You know, Jesus said we're to love God and love others. But part of that response is that we are just to go out and in the glory of God, do good to all as we have opportunity. In some ways, this makes the Christian life so simple. Some of you, sometimes you almost overcomplicate it. What has God called you to do? He's called you to go out and do good in his name to all people. So there you have it. <laughs> But then you also know this can get pretty complicated too. How many of you ever get overwhelmed by all the needs around you? I know I do as a pastor. There's tremendous needs in my own family and relatives at times. There's tremendous needs in our church family. 
There's tremendous needs in our community and county and all over the world. So where do you begin? Well, this verse helps us. We are to do good to all as we have opportunity, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we are just to spread that seed. This is kind of changing the image a little bit. When we sow, we are to sow into people's lives to all people as God gives us opportunity, plentifully, abundantly. You know, back in Bible times, they would often sow seed differently than we do today. I often wonder what they would think if they could see all these John Deere tractors and such going around our fields. They would scatter the seed widely, plentifully. That's what we're called to do in terms of our community. And then the fourth lesson, so sow intentionally, specifically, abundantly, and now we have to sow, and I don't like this one, patiently. Patiently with expectation. I'll add that to it, okay? Patiently and expectantly. If you look at verse 9, we'll go back a verse. I heard somebody say amen after this verse. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. How many of you have ever grown weary in doing good? Yeah, you read verse 10, you're like, we're to do good to all. That just adds to the weariness in some ways. Because you know if you invest in someone's life, if you sow seeds of righteousness in God's word in somebody's life and you're doing good to all, that you get emotionally invested and emotionally attached so that if they're not doing well, that, that affects you. And that's normal, by the way. But it's hard. Sometimes you and I can get so fed up with people because they do that to us. They put us on this roller coaster of emotion as we try to help them. And sometimes we can get to our shame hardened and cynical because I don't want my heart to go through that again. I'm not going to get on that roller coaster. But look at what God's word tells us. Let's not become weary in doing good. Why? Here's the reason why. Let's read this together. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Whenever you plant something in your garden or a crop, do you see a harvest overnight? That would be nice. <laughs> no, it takes a while. I imagine if you're a first-year farmer, the first year you plant crops, you're probably watching the crops every single day. You're probably taking your sleeping bag out there and shining a flashlight out at 2 a.m. in the morning just to make sure, are you growing yet? Come on. Because you want to see the harvest come. Well, God reminds us, just as that's true in farming, that we are going to reap a harvest. This is also true spiritually. You know, if you did a, a good Bible study for you to do sometime this week is just to research Maybe even Google all the times that sowing and reaping and farming and harvesting shows up in your Bible because it is a lot. I was reminded of this idea that we're going to reap a harvest that it is not dependent on us because when you plant something, when you plant crops or your garden, you can do everything right and still have a horrible crop. Or you could do things not so well and yet God still blesses your crop abundantly. But at the end of the day, the results are not dependent on you or me. The results are dependent on God. It is he who enables a crop to have a harvest, to reap a harvest. And if that's true physically, then how much more so spiritually? You know, I don't like waiting with patience. That's, this is probably the most challenging one to me. But we are called to not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This week, if you ever check our social media, I'm going to probably talk a little bit more about verses 9 and 10 a little bit more because as you think about how do you, how do you decide who you're going to reach? How do you filter it? I mean, because we have so many requests coming in all the time for help. 
how do you actually biblically kind of sift through how you're going to help people? I'm going to try to post about that this week. So we are called to sow intentionally, specifically, abundantly, and patiently. So the question this morning is, what are you sowing? Are you sowing in such a way to please the spirit or to please your flesh? And if you're not sure, maybe the question to ask is, what are you reaping in your life right now? What are the results in your personal holiness or lack thereof? And what are the results in your relationships? If those are not going well, chances are that you are sowing to please the flesh. Let's go on to the next part of the verses. Talked about sowing and reaping. By the way, this is all in light of the gospel. We do this because of what God has done through Christ. Let's read the next part of verses. If you would stand with me for the reading of these last parts, and this part will be a little bit shorter, my sermon on this part. Verse 11 says this, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And we kind of wonder, why does Paul say that? You know, I, and I think it's because, not because he was sick, but because he was trying to impress on them something that, kind of like if you and I text somebody in all caps, what does that mean? You're shouting at him. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He wants them to know that he is concerned for them. And then he says in verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So he's talking about these false teachers here that have come in and are trying to get them to believe in Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus circumcision. And then verse 14, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. You may be seated. This part is pretty simple in many ways. It all comes down to boasting. So we looked at sowing and reaping, a very practical principle. But now we're going to look at something even deeper, which affects our sowing and our reaping. And that is boasting. Paul lays out there's two things that we can boast in. By the way, what does it mean to boast in something? It means to brag about it. And not just brag about it, but it means to take a deep joy in it, a deep satisfaction in it, so much so that it becomes your identity, if I can use that word, and your image and your significance and your fulfillment. I mean, even today, as I think about the NFL season kicking off, some of you don't just like your team, you boast in your team. You know what I mean? So much so that if your team gets beat, it will affect you for the next 24 hours or so, right? Some of you are like, that's crazy. But that does happen among sports fans because you are boasting in them. It's more than just a team. It's, it's your identity. Well, Paul really lays out there's two things you can boast in, two ways. The first way is you can boast in yourself and your achievements and what you've done and you've accomplished. That's actually the way the false teachers who have come in are telling them to because they're telling them, yes, believe in Jesus, but you also need to do this to kind of beef up your salvation so that you can boast in you. Because if you look at verses 12 and 13, 
He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They, they want people to think good about them and their accomplishments. They don't want people to look down on them. They want people to boast in them. And then verse 13 says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. This doesn't work. This doesn't help. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. They want to boast about you. They want to boast about themselves. And this is so true. If you put your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ for your salvation, at the end of the day, you are boasting in you. I am boasting in me. Even if you're not a religious person, we are all on this quest for salvation in some sense. And even if you don't put your faith in God in any way, you are gonna put your faith in something that you are doing, whether it's your career or your money or a relationship, but something you're accomplishing. So at the end of the day, whether it's religious or non-religious, you and I are boasting in ourselves. And that way, Paul says, doesn't work. Doesn't help you keep the law in verse 13. Doesn't actually help you in the fight against sin. At the end of the day, it doesn't even save you before God. That is not our hope or joy or confidence. But instead, Paul says in verse 14, here is the thing we should boast in. So this is the second way. First way was ourselves. The second way is we are to boast in what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You couldn't help but listen to Ryan and Brad, and they had so many songs on the cross. I love that. Thank you, guys. We are called to boast in not just brag about, but in our deepest core, our deepest identity, to brag about what God has done through Christ. It's not ourselves, it's Christ and what he's done to accomplish our salvation. It's what he has done to help us sow and reap a, a crop for his glory. It's what he has done. Even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the amazing thing that'll happen in your life, if you actually have the cross at the center of your life, look at what's gonna happen. He says, the world now has been crucified to me and I to the world, meaning that the world has no more pull on me. I don't care ultimately what people think about me. I mean, how many of you wanna be free from always worrying about what people think about you? Well, the goal, the key is to boast in the cross, what God has done for you, what he thinks about you. Or how many of you wanna be free from the idols in your soul that just pull at you, whether it's money or sex or drugs or whatever? Well, the way that you get free from that, Paul says, is you have to boast deep in your heart about what God has done through Christ. You have to constantly take that in time and time again, and then you will experience that result. He goes on to say in verse 15, this is a great summary of the book, neither circumcision counts, doesn't mean anything, so trying to earn my salvation doesn't work, nor does uncircumcision, meaning doing whatever I want, that doesn't work either. The only thing that counts, let's say it together, is the new creation, what God has done to make me new, not because of me, but because he's done it in Christ by his spirit. That's what counts. And if you actually understand this, look at what verse 16 says will happen in your life. You're gonna get peace, you're going to experience the mercy of God? I mean, how many of you want to experience true peace in your life? <laughs> it's only going to happen if the cross is the center of your life. In fact, he calls us the Israel of God, meaning we are Abraham's descendants too. 
And then if you really follow the cross, look at what verse 17 says. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Paul says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, meaning he was willing to suffer for the cross. I mean, if you really value and boast in the cross, you too are gonna be willing to suffer for it. I mean, all of us suffer for what we love, don't we? I was thinking about it as a Cubs fan. I was a Cubs fan for years. I suffered through so many horrible years until they won the World Series. And that's a, that's a horrible example, really. <laughs> but we'll suffer for what we love and hold dear. If we hold dear the cross, then we're going to too bear on our body and our soul the marks of Jesus. And then verse 18 wraps it up nicely. Then we'll close here. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So the question before us this morning is, what are you sowing and reaping? But an even deeper question is, what are you boasting in? Because boasting gets at our heart. Are we boasting in ourselves, in our accomplishments, or something this world has to offer? Or are we truly boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ, which we see every Sunday? Are we so thankful for what God has done through Christ to save sinners like me? If that is your pride and joy, then man, you understand exactly what Paul's talking about here. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now your spirit would just identify in our lives where we need to be encouraged, where we need to grow and be challenged. I pray that you would give us supernatural eyes to see what we are sowing and reaping And Lord, if we are not sowing to please you, I praise God that you are bringing that to our attention. Help us to confess that to you and repent and receive mercy and grace anew and afresh. Lord, help us also too to understand what we boast in at a truly heart level. And Lord, if we're not boasting in you, Lord, today's the perfect day to realign our affections with you, to confess and have mercy and grace from you. Father, I pray that as a church, as we go on from the book of Galatians, that we would never move on from the gospel, what you have done through Christ to save us. May it humble us and may it affirm us. Thank you so much for this precious letter to the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you stand for the last verse I want to read? This is what Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Amen. Thanks for coming. You are dismissed.